today's Operational Excellence episode features Mike Bignold, the founder and CEO of Cost Certified. In this conversation, Mike sits down with Fuse GP Brendan Wales to share about how he leverages a numbers-driven approach to operating and how it's helped Cost Certified grow by more than 10x in the last two years. It's going to be an awesome conversation. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Uh, you've got Brendan here with Fuse, one of the partners. We're pleased to have Mike Bignold, the CEO and founder of Cost Certified. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks for having me. A little over two years into our journey together, we invested in you guys right when you were coming out of Y Combinator, summer 2021 batch. You know, the goal of this was to you know, help people understand a little bit about that journey at the earliest of stages. You know, we invested when you guys were doing a couple hundred thousand dollars of revenue and now it's well over 10x that in a, in a fairly short period of time. So first off, why don't we jump into what it is that Cost Certified does? And then we'll go into the origin story and then a little bit about the growth. So Cost Certified, you know, originally really started as like an estimating tool. What we do and the magic of what we do is we put production data right there at the front of the process in the estimate. And we do that in a really fast and accessible way. That's the core of the innovation that we've built. Now we've turning it into a platform so that it's end to end where it's the first thing that our customers log into at the beginning of the day. And the last thing that log out at night, it's the first interaction with your customer and the last interaction with your supplier. And so that's basically what we're working on building now. There aren't that many verticals left where you can really be that end-to-end -end solution. Part of the reason we got so excited about working with you, just because it was an important part of why we invested your background and, and why you decided to do this in the first place. My background is as a contractor. I have a business degree. I was trying to scale my contracting business. I basically stayed hands-off with my business, built the software, got it to the point where I had multiple project managers and the software was doing a lot of the heavy lifting for me. And that allowed me to stay on the code and keep coding and teach myself how to code. And so it was like a sort of a virtuous cycle where the more time I freed up for myself, the more time I had to code and the more I got to learn. And I ended up running a, a decently successful contracting business, paying myself while I basically got my degree in coding on my own. And then I realized that the numbers showed that it would make a lot more sense to help other contractors out by spinning this software out into its own business rather than trying to scale my contracting business. It just made a lot more sense. And the numbers sort of showed that. And so I decided to sell my contracting business, live off the proceeds, recode from scratch, and turn it into a business. And so that's what I did. And what year was the spin out again? When did 2017. You... Why don't we fast forward a little bit to getting the product into the market, grinding a way to get those first 50, 100 customers. I think there's a lot of content out there about that, about trying to get that feeling of product market fit. And, and that's really when we met. You know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of ARR coming out of YC, probably the most traction out of any company coming out of YC that year. What was going through your mind as you're you're feeling that product market fit? Obviously, it was the go-go days of SaaS in a way. And so there were a lot of expectations of growth. What was going through your mind at that point in time? It was really cool because it was, you know, 2021. YC was really skeptical when they took us on. You know, most people do do an application and then they do an interview and then they're in, you know, and for us, it was application, interview, wait a month, interview, wait a month, interview, making sure that, you know, we still had traction. We were still alive, you know, we're still doing kind of what we said we were going to do. So, you know, it's vertical SaaS. It's not very sexy. It hasn't been, it, it's starting to, but it wasn't even then 
few years ago. The fact that we were able to get through YC in a growth year, I mean, 2021 was really grow at all costs. Here, just have money, just go and get quadruple, you know? The fact that we could leave YC being the one with the probably the most traction out of our batch was was really, really cool. We had our round lockdown before demo day. I know there's a lot of talk about that right now. And that's actually really not common. They put us dead last in demo day and we had to wait through everybody else to go. It was really cool to get out of that with a lot of traction. Really, you're supposed to, you know, iterate, you know, lean startup style, you know, do an, an MVP, dip your toes in the market. We really just built it. I mean, I built it, you know, for years, just hoping that they would come. And luckily they did. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. So we kind of had a like a, a pretty well-built product by the time we got to YC. So Some people are going against the lead startup method now, saying your, your, your approach is probably the best. Obviously, that is sort of the lead startup approach to an extent, but you do have to have an opinion on the market and the opportunity. You have to be really passionate about it. Otherwise, hard to spend 10 years at the pace at which you guys are, are, are doing this. And so coming out of YC, you probably raised one of the largest rounds. It was a little over $5 million, I believe. It was eight and a half. Yeah, and there was some, I think, some safe notes that converted into that. And I mean, I remember those discussions then. I remember the projections for, for the business. Wh- where was your mindset around growth? Yeah, and I have to look back on where we thought we were going to be within a year. It was 2021. So expectations on growth yeah. were like extreme and it didn't matter how much it costs. So it was kind of like, just take the money and go grow as fast as you can. We probably wanted to 10 X in a year, probably took a little longer than a year, but, but not too much longer, which is really cool. The easiest thing was the sales. You could just tell that there was a need for this in the market. That was definitely the easy part was getting the interest of our customers and having them want to buy it. You guys are fortunate enough to have a product where you really can give somebody a call and they they understand the pain point really fast. What hasn't worked as well as you would have expected, either organizationally or go to market, whatever it may be? Well, standing up a big business is hard, especially when you're like a startup. You have to balance having all the right people in all the right places before you have the scale to really support it. But it's almost like a chicken of the egg thing. You kind of need them to help you get the scale, but you can't do it too soon. So the timing is really important. You just kind of have to live without in a lot of ways. And that was, that was a really hard thing. You have to really pick your battles and it's like things slip through the cracks and you just have to like be okay with that and just like mm-hmm. move on and, and focus on, on the big thing of the moment and then just get to that one later. It's like whack-a-mole. You can only hit one mole at a time. Which part of the organization would you say has been the most difficult to scale? The hardest thing to scale is probably the onboarding, getting people to care about the customers long-term, keep them converted and to follow through with what we pitch in the sale. Scaling that is really, really hard because you need technical experience. You need people that are good with the computer, good with software, can almost pitch that almost like business consultants but also have domain experience and like understand the construction industry. So scaling that's really hard because you have to find the whole team of unicorns and, and that's just not easy to do. And just scale on its own, like in any department is really hard. Things start to break down after a certain headcount. People start to develop little niches in the company and start to have different ideas about priorities in the business. It's really hard to keep that all together at scale, just in general. Yeah, for sure. 
How do you think about the hiring process? It's inherently uh, broken in a way because you're doing it so fast. What would you say that the lessons are around bringing on talent? I've always sort of thought that just hiring is a bit of a gamble. You don't really know how they're going to do until their butt's in that seat. And I kind of just go for it and then see how it goes. Of course, I've been wrong over and over and over, but I don't wait too long. Our product team now, which is the one that's sort of more directly under my control, I have very high expectations and people just don't last long because you don't know how they're going to do. It doesn't matter how well they interview, how well they test, you know, on a coding test or or how well they pitch in like a pitch competition for when we do our sales interviews. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because those have been wrong a hundred times. You just get them in the seat and you just see how they do. And you just set expectations and you really have to set the standard high. You have to carry through on it. And carrying through on it means letting someone go if if they're not working out and, and doing it fast. Yeah, which is hard and, and difficult to maintain culture when when you're doing that. To change that expectation is really hard when you're in a culture where that's sort of the norm or the expectation. It's it's sort of a reversal. Yeah. What do you think is required you know, from an organizational standpoint to 10x from here in the next two years? From here um, to 10x, you know, we've been re- really working on efficiency in the last yeah. you know six months, which everyone I think has, which mm-hmm. is not a not a bad exercise. So yeah. that was like the number one thing. We just needed to yeah. make sure that we had a sustainable go-to-market mm-hmm. that could eventually pay for itself. Now that we have that, we've kind of worked out a few hacks on how to get our CAC down. Luckily, they've worked out. You know, a bit of a gamble. We've talked about like the Cape Town office. That was mm-hmm. uh, that was a bit of a gamble. End up working out. So and, Cost Certified has some of their their go-to-market, most of the go-to-market and, and CS and Cape Down as a way to reduce costs. Yeah, as well as a lot of our GNA and some of our yeah. R&D. You know, we really doubled down on that. It wasn't always a sure thing. Was even like six, seven, eight months in, it was like, oh, I don't know if this is working. We took a few gambles on, on things like that. They worked out, luckily. And now it's all about just doing more of the same. And then also we're always testing different styles of go-to-market kind of on the same thread, but kind of launching a few different tests right now on how to sort of tweak things and change things and and just maximize what what we can do without necessarily having to increase headcount linearly with our growth. Yeah. And speaking of maximization, something we talk about all the time is pricing and price discovery. And you know, everybody comes in to a market with, with sort of these preconceived notions around how much they can charge whether or not there'll be a lot of a demand there or there'll be optimal amount of demand there. I'd say with small business, it's a very particular type of customer to sell into because the business owner is the operator at, at the end of the day. How have, maybe you, obviously I'm familiar with it, but for you, how you've thought about that? You know, SMB, they really struggle with any sort of added costs. You know, they're very tight with their money and that's my world and that's where I come from. And so I understand it really well. You know, you only have so much, your margins are... Then and a lot of the customers we deal with aren't really making that much profit. They don't even understand the kind of profit they're making. And that's where Cost Certified comes in to help them kind of understand that better and and to build that profitability. We have a very clear ROI on our product. So when a contractor comes in, our goal is to give them at least a 10x ROI. Typically, it's like 30 and 40x based on what they pay us. And because yeah. of that, we can sort of justify charging a bit more so that we can have a really sustainable go-to-market. But on the other hand, you know, we don't want to increase that too high because we're building all, out all sorts of new products. It's always sort of been a land and expand 
go-to-market strategy. The expand has taken a little longer than we'd hoped, as things sometimes do. Now that we are actually launching products and on a good cadence, mm-hmm. um, you know, our plan is to sort of land and then grow that with all the platform offerings that kind of build it end to end and fill in all the gaps. Is there sort of a point north that you use to drive the next feature? You know, we always talk about it from the angle of monetization. You probably think about it more from just say making the customers happy and the monetization is the output. But what do you think are the key things for you on that front? So there is a sort of an end state of like the core product that I have is like my my ultimate vision, you know, turning this in from a, you know, a good, reliable Toyota into like a Ferrari, you know, and I yeah. really, I really have the vision in my head of, of what I want it to be. And right now we're really hyper-focused on just delivering on that ultimate vision for the core product. It's just like the basic workflow of construction and, and getting all the pieces in place there. You know, we spent the last year working on infrastructure bottlenecks that we've needed to get out of the way before we can start to launch new products. Mm-hmm. And so now that's done. And now we're starting to be able to actually launch new products. And now, funnily enough, it's about, you know, standing up the business side of launching new products and how do you launch a product and how do you market it and how do you get it out and how do you build your attach rates on that? And so that's now a big focus. I have this sort of end state vision that I'm really driving towards. It's a it's a totally transformative way of how this SMB residential construction can be purchased, delivered, paid for. And it's that vision that sort of is compelling me right now. And once that's done, my thoughts on how do we launch products, how do we prioritize will change. And it'll be more about monetization and incremental value. On the product development front, everything is AI, AI, AI. No one was talking about that when we invested two years ago. I, generally speaking, it's easier, you know, as a firm, we, we believe for these vertical software companies to provide more value with, with AI. How have you thought about testing and deploying AI-related products into your workflow? We're testing a bunch of different features that include AI. We've, we've had AI already with some of the features in Cost Certified. But now we're kind of taking it to the next level with like new capabilities that are available, things that can improve onboarding, building an estimate with natural language, all the basics, like having customer support, you know, through a chat bot and things like that, helping our customers communicate to their customers. So all that sort of the basic stuff, but then also some magic when it comes to AI in terms of like estimating and project management. Yeah, I think onboarding is really, really exciting, especially for taking com- or taking customers on who don't use software, right? And so that means there's inherently a lot of paper, you know, for, for y'all, it's historical estimates and pricing and all this stuff and, and pulling it in. I think there's a lot of really unique stuff there that can, as you said, improve onboarding and re- retention and all that good stuff. Two more yeah. questions for you. You know, you've raised a decent amount of capital at this point, probably between 12 to $15 million dollars. What is your thesis or, or, or I guess approach to raising capital, burning capital going forward just as you're running the company? This, you know, changed a lot since we first raised around in yeah. 2021. Fundraising, I've always wanted to avoid it as much as I can. You know, I don't necessarily want to fundraise, but what you find is that you get to the scale and the, and the growth that you want to, It need, you need to. I mean, you just can't be profitable, you know, if you're forexing your growth you know there's to ramp agents and you have to build out a company that's in just inherently imperfect efficiency it's basically impossible to be profitable at, at that sort of scale 
yeah, my philosophy is just what you do when you're on the market. Sometimes it's expensive to raise money and sometimes it's less expensive and take as much as you can when it's less expensive. Try to avoid it when it's more expensive as much as you can. And sometimes you just can't avoid it. And I think one, one huge beneficial component to how you structured your investors is the folks around the table have been really close to you the whole time. And so we continue to invest and really at, at every moment and same with others that are on the cap table. And I think it says a lot about how you communicate types of people you have around the table because they really understand it. I think that's also a big part, right? Because uh, at, at the cap table where you're just another company and people don't have a perspective, it's hard to get that follow on capital, whether even if it's doing well, it goes a long way. And actually like my big thing when fundraising is like finding people that I like and I can work with. And I haven't always been right about that. In retrospect, I can tell that that's really served me well is actually finding people that I enjoy working with and I know I can work with and that have my best interests and the company's best interests at heart. And, and that has made a big difference. Yeah. And I think you've done a really good job of also getting to know external investors. For some CEOs, they've, they've sort, they're sort of taking the stance of not meeting people when they're not fundraising. I do think in this world, it's harder for VCs to make investments when they haven't known founders. And, and I think there's, a, there's only so much time you want to spend on it, right? I think you're pretty good about minimizing the amount of time, but I do think it pays off in, in the long run. And I, I know it will with you all too. Um, kind of on that, uh, on that note, so some advice. So if, if other folks that are, you know, they, they've got some good product market fit, a couple hundred thousand dollars of revenue, they, they want to 10X, get their business to a point where it's, you know, pretty much default alive. What are some tips to help them get there? People ask me like, why did I jump into this? Why, you know, why did I get started? And it's really sort of square. It's not like, oh, I had this eureka moment. No, it was basically me running the spreadsheets and figuring out that this could be a really good business. And by extension, that means that it's helping a lot of people because we're adding a lot of value. They're willing to pay us for it. I can see the ROI very clearly. It was all about running the numbers and making sure that it really worked out and it could scale and it could grow and it could be feasible. And of course, when you're doing that, you're making a lot of assumptions about what you think you can accomplish You know, in terms of sales and headcount that you'll need to do that, the costs that go into that, what that will output. And so I think early on in your early days, you know, if you've got a couple hundred thousand of ARR and you're kind of just dabbling in that, you're sort of just getting started. And it's really all about testing those numbers and making sure that the numbers aren't just based on, on nothing and they're actually based on something that's real. And so I think in your early days, it's all about testing those numbers and making sure that they are real and that they will play out as you scale. I would just test those numbers, test those numbers, and then kind of roll them back a little bit and make them a little bit less optimistic and then just be really sure of where you're going and, and to understand, you know, what your runway, what your burn is going to be. And then it gives you a lot of confidence in your go-to-market because now it's yeah. tested and you can scale it with other people, not just yourself. You know, if you're doing your own sales, you can kind of scale it beyond yourself. Yeah. And maybe for, for two years from now, we can expose some of those internal documents that you use. Mike's probably got the most granular approach to monitoring the business. And I, I got, I mean, it must be like 250 rows uh, per, per month. On, I think it's like 800. <laughs> 800 rows on budgets and actuals, which I appreciate. And I think some founders, they they don't necessarily want to draw the line in the sand because they there's not a lot of certainty around hitting it. And that's not really the point. Like the, the point is thinking through it all. Uh, like I can attest not a single company ever hits their budget. You can't be afraid to do that. And, and then you can refine things as you go. I think one also other important point is 
when you're making these business model adjustments, I, like when we were talking about pricing six months ago, those aren't changes that can happen overnight. They take time. You know, I think for, for you guys, it was probably eight weeks before you could even start charging a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but it was, it, it was definitely time consuming, but it was probably 12 to 15 weeks before you're like, wow, this is really working. This is a much better approach that sort of making those decisions just so key because it never happens as fast as you think. Same with team changes. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, you have to model it out and figure out what those changes are going to result in. You know, you kind of want to model it out and see maybe it increases your revenue, but maybe it also increases your burn. And you just have to know that. And and you can only really know that if you model out all the consequences. And it really helps you make those decisions if you really have a robust model. One mistake is that CEOs don't really understand their modeling um, and then they'll leave it up to a CFO. And I just don't think that's feasible. I think as a CEO, you need to know your direction and know your numbers and you need to be on top of it and kind of in charge of it, really. You know, one other thing about that, too, is that when you fundraise and you're needing to pull numbers, we have one company that they didn't they, they didn't have the ability to pull the retention, however it was being billed. And now it's like you have all these asterisks in, in the way you're presenting the data, and that just makes it a lot harder when potential investors are coming up. It's like, well, if that's an unknown, what else, what other unknowns are there uh, too? And so I appreciate the the rigor there, but um, really appreciate you you making the time. And this is awesome. I think everybody's going to benefit greatly from it and excited to see the next 10X from here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> thanks awesome. for having me. Yeah, thanks, Mike. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. As always, we appreciate you joining us and we'll see you on the next one.